0: of what seems to be almost an awakening in our history, we find ourselves at the end of the series of letters from Paul. And to finish today, I'm getting us into Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church. Perhaps it'll speak to this cultural moment, but let us hear it in the spirit of how we hear all scripture, not merely to address a cultural moment, but rather timeless for all people, every nation, tribe, and tongue throughout all of history. This letter was originally written to a sweet congregation in Greece that seemed to communicate something so key and significant to the Christian story that here in 2020, perhaps during a renewed awakening in our history, we've stumbled into something among our scriptures. Sitting in this book of Thessalonians at first seems sort of boring to me because the church in this book is doing so well and I often enjoy hearing challenges and hearing things to wrestle through. At first reading this book, I noticed myself feeling indifferent and maybe even a bit annoyed reading about a church getting it all right. I'm often insecure in my own walk with Jesus, and hearing about others getting a good job from Paul at walking in the Jesus way made me feel inattentive and bored with what was going on. I often feel more intrigued and captivated to wrestle with the challenges that Paul gives, or the controversialness that we see in other books but I kept in it. Oftentimes with the Bible, I find it a good challenge to figure out why the stuff I find boring and seemingly insignificant to my life has been life-changing and sacredly considered for thousands of years. So I remained hopeful to understand what was significant in this boring job well done church letter. What we can see in this book, I hope can give us some insight into what is going on and what churches are experiencing and working through when they are getting it right. When they are walking in the way of Jesus. We open this letter reading 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2. We, Paul and whoever else, always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and our fa- and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we read about a church who rightly marries what they believe with their lifestyles. Paul is affirming that when our actions and our way of being rooted in the faith, love, and hope in Christ, we are getting it right. Again, when what we believe is rightly aligned with the way we live, we, like the Thessalonian people, can be a community that gets it right. I get nervous even using this phrase, getting it right, because there's so many things that could go wrong when getting it right becomes our aim and not Jesus. What this church isn't doing is trying to get it right. If our goal becomes getting it right, most often we miss it and we get it wrong. Oftentimes when the church aims to get it right, instead of following Jesus, we get groups of people who are either aware of how wrong they are getting it, feeling unworthy and find no belonging in the church of perfect people, or the other group, think they are getting it right, and they get lost in being impressed with themselves because of their perfect performance and lose sight of why Jesus matters. I pray today, as we explore this letter, that our aim resists being about getting it right and instead we can grow closer to Jesus. Today, let's look at what Paul is encouraging and affirming in this church. Let's take notice of what a church that is getting it right has going on. From Paul's opening statement he's encouraging that they are a people who work hard as a result of their faith their efforts and labor are prompted because of their love and affection and their persistence and commitment is inspired from their hope being in Jesus so what are the tells what are the signs that this church is getting this Jesus way right <clears throat> now for sure letters are contextual and perhaps some of the specificness of what this church is wrestling through was particularly relevant to what was going on in their context of getting it right. Yet this is scripture and we can trust that what they are working through as they are getting it right is perhaps what we also wrestle through as we God willing, get it right. When Paul affirms that this church's work is produced by faith after reading the letter, it sounds like there is a special way that this church works that makes Paul comment that this special way of working seems to come about because of their faith. What is this particular way of working that Paul says is produced by faith? When we look at the things Paul talks about in this letter, his instruction of a faithful response to hard situations becomes apparent. We read 1 Thessalonians, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. In 2 Thessalonians, God is just, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Again, in Second Thessalonians, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Doesn't paying back wrong for wrong feel fair? What about justice? Why is Paul saying not to do that? What is this faithful response to being wronged? Let's work through this. First, I'd like to acknowledge that being treated poorly, being taken advantage of, and getting ripped off sucks. I've quoted her before, and I'm sure it won't be the last, but Debbie Mitchell once said in reference to wanting to walk in the way of Jesus, to embrace getting ripped off. I, for one, have still not figured this out. When we've been ripped off, treated poorly, been taken advantage of, we we have, in other words, as Paul writes, been wronged. And yet he advises here not to then do wrong but rather strive to do what is good throughout these letters to the thessalonians it sounds like there is a bit of mischief going on and is making being kind and loving hard we hear paul telling the church to trust god with justice and to live seeking the good of others even when they wrong you this is a hard teaching if we were in person, I'd ask for an amen. It'll just continue alone in this recording studio. <laughs> Seeking the good of others when you've been wrong, wronged is hard teaching. But if we're talking about a church getting the way of Jesus right, this sounds familiar. In Luke 6, 27 to 31, Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Love those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Paul is cheering on a church who is walking in the way of Jesus. Hearing Jesus's words, hear what the Jesus way demands. Look at what following Jesus asks of us. If you're wrestling with how to read this, whether following Jesus ought to lead us to being beaten up, beat up, naked and homeless. Well, it certainly has led some of his followers into those things. One time, Pastor Greg said something intense like that. And after said, welcome to church. But honestly, I hope this is encouraging. If you've been severely ripped off, I don't want to make light of that. Some of the horror stories I've heard of what we do to each other is unspeakable. And to you I say, Jesus is with you. And oh God, do we ever need Jesus's justice? The thing that makes me tremble before Jesus and fall in love with him all at once is the way he is among the poor, downcast, marginalized people. The people who have been ripped off systematically or otherwise i wonder when i look around where jesus might be it seems in scripture that he's around and the most sweet to the ones being ripped off the ones born blind or sick the dead the ones whose voices go unheard the ones looked down on avoided and dismissed when we read the gospels these are the ones who get the affection of jesus meanwhile the ones who don't seem to grapple with the hardships of being ripped off, the powerful, the prestigious, they often have a much harder time around Jesus. Interesting that a church that is getting the Jesus way right is a community of people being taken advantage of. The Thessalonian church community that is walking in the affection of Jesus remains the ones who are having wrongs done to them. Yet, because of Jesus, we are transformed by his love. We are healed, heard, and seen by him. And when he does that for us, what other response is there but to do to others what he has done for you? A helpful sign then is noticing your response to being ripped off. If your response isn't to do good, well, you're in good company. I know that when justice hasn't been served, I get real upset and I recognize I have not even experienced even close close to some of the pains that others live with on the regular basis. Yet when my impassioned anger from injustice gets me to Jesus, he reminds me that the degree of suffering is far beyond human repair, that the injustice is too big, the problem has gone completely out of control, and as much as I desire to be a part of the solution, my selfish, greedy, fearful heart is so often all the more contributing. Pain is rampant as many of us have been awakened to even this week, to say it lightly. Things are not as they ought to be, not even close. And this makes me cling to Jesus, because I trust that he will indeed return. And when he does, he will bring justice. When we get the Jesus way right, we will need to be reminded to not return wrong for wrong, because when we get the Jesus way right, we will be wronged. And when we are wronged, we need faith. When we are wronged, we need to trust Jesus more than ever, to trust that his way is right and best, and his way leads us, like in Luke 6, to respond in love and kindness. When Paul initiates with the line saying, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps the work that is produced by faith that he later addresses in the letter is the work of responding to being wronged with love and goodness. And this leads to the second point, endurance inspired by hope. How do we endure suffering in this life? Paul highlights it is through hope in Jesus executing justice upon his return. Trusting to Jesus to execute justice, I do not say lightly there is an overwhelming degree of justice that is waiting to be served and our longing to have injustice dealt with is growing and it was for this church as well. Yet a tell, a sign for getting it right, this walking in the Jesus way is not merely longing for justice as we see fit, but trusting Jesus will execute justice. Now saying to trust Jesus to execute justice may sound easy when you haven't experienced an intense injustice, So let's notice the injustice and pain that this church is experiencing throughout these short comments on suffering. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 1, you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. 1 Thessalonians 2, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. 1 Thessalonians 2, again, you suffered from your own people. 1 Thessalonians 3, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. 2 Thessalonians 1, therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. As a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. This church is familiar with pain and suffering. In that initial opening line, again, he acknowledges that the way in which this community endured suffering was through hope in Jesus, enduring through suffering. Considering the immense pain this church was experiencing is significant. And Paul highlights that they endure it through having hope in Jesus. They lived in the present trusting that jesus was coming in the future and living in the present with that future orientation resulted in them enduring severe strong trials persecutions and suffering so what is it about the future and this mysterious hope in the future that helps the followers of jesus endure extreme pain in the present a mentor of mine used to ask me sam think when you're 80 will you have wished to Will you have wished you chose to do this or that? What will the Sam then think of that decision? And yet, who really cares what 80-year-old Sam would want? Rather asking, Sam, think when you're 80, near the end of your life, will Jesus have wanted you to do this or that? Make that decision. I share this to highlight that endings help us. They help us remember in the present how to live, how to make decisions in the present. It's helpful to reflect on when we have cling to endings to get curious about current longings for the end. I think of college, days when I never wanted to leave, which some of you may not believe, but I loved school. But there were also times, probably mostly during intense papers or exams, when I was all too ready to be finished. I think of how in school, the ending determined my behavior in the present. If I wanted a good grade at the end of a paper or an exam in the the present, I was studious to think well and focus. What we anticipate in the future determines a lot about how we live in the present. It impacts our present. Another piece to notice in these letters is Paul's attention to speak about Jesus' return, which makes sense because if Paul is suggesting that a community ought to trust Jesus with justice, if you care about justice, you're probably going to become concerned with how this whole promise about Jesus returning and executing justice will come about. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, we hear Paul writing to them regarding what God promises about death that the Christians who have died are merely sleeping and that when Jesus returns, they will live. This portion of scripture, however, has probably been one of the peripheral, strange sounding things that has led into these major ideas that have confused many. So we'll go there briefly. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17, it says, "'For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and his trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the Lord forever. This image of the dead rising and people being caught up in the air with the Lord has led to an idea called rapture. This idea has been commercialized and hilariously depicted in different shows and movies. However, the purpose of Paul using this illustration when describing Christ's return Paul is using a common image of their political setting to illustrate Christ's return. The image is of how when Caesar would arrive in cities that he was lord over, the people of that city would send out delegates to meet Caesar as he entered and then go back into the city with him. So when we read this brief description of Jesus's return in Thessalonians, of meeting the Lord in the air, which may sound odd, at least it does to me, This is the first century image of the people over whom God reigns meeting and welcoming him him into their city. They believed God was in the air. Therefore, to welcome him to reign on earth would look like meeting him at the entrance to the earth, being the air. Paul's elaborate description of Jesus' return reveals this church's concern and reassurance needed regarding Christ's return. A church getting the Jesus way right is concerned about Jesus's return. This church's concern for Jesus's return ought to cause pause in us to reflect on whether this is a longing in our hearts. Is your heart longing for the return of Christ? Does your pain lead to your desperation for his return? These are the concerns of a church being affirmed for getting the Jesus way right. Like the Thessalonian church, have you been ripped off? Are you in pain? And are you longing for the return of Jesus to come and execute his justice? Have you lamented long and hard enough over the despairing state of pain and heartache over our world? Do we long for the end of this hard, painful life and long for the day when Christ will come and wipe away every tear? When a church is getting it right, it becomes relevant and at the forefront of our needs to remember that Jesus will return and reign. The pain of brokenness and evil becomes so overwhelming that our desperate plea sounds, when is he coming back? Not only this, but perhaps like many of us, when those around us succeed and thrive in this world, it can be seriously challenging to trust that that this Jesus way is real and worth it not because we don't celebrate other successes, but because following Jesus seriously costs us. And for the Thessalonian church, I would even dare assume they've lost loved ones because of following the Jesus way. When you've experienced this kind of pain and suffering from following Jesus and see those around you who are not committed to the Jesus way, who are living happy, successful lives, perhaps you like me begin to wonder thinking, they seem to be getting something, right? All this pain and suffering, perhaps I'm the one missing something. Yet, a correct future orientation of hope in Jesus changes our present. When we are awakened to the reality that this life is temporary, that there will be an end, that maybe you're privileged enough to control your happiness and successfulness in this life, unthinking, forgetting that there will come a moment, death, when we all no longer have control. Paul is reminding this church, caught in suffering that indeed this present life is temporary and yes their persevering love is worth it because this life will end and Jesus will return. He ends this section on Jesus' return saying in verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. So also I say to us church family, when you aren't experiencing the happiness and success that maybe you see those around you who aren't following Jesus' experience, remember that there will be an end. When we are discouraged, may we encourage one another, reminding each other Jesus will return. Let us be reminded that maintaining your comfort and security is not your greatest problem. Remember the Jesus way. Don't be discouraged when your love and seeking to benefit others hurts or takes away from your enjoyment of life. You perhaps are trusting in the Jesus way. And along the Jesus way, suffering is no surprise. We hear Paul remind the Thessalonians of this in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 3. And then again, in John, we hear Jesus, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Live in the present, in light of the future hope, that Jesus will return and Jesus will reign. Though you may endure hardship now, there will be an end, and may we God willing endure. Lastly, notice another element of what Paul writes to a church who is walking in the way of Jesus about. Here, we listen to Paul acknowledge and affirm this church for walking in the Jesus way in 1st Thessalonians 4 verse 1 as for other matters brothers and sisters we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you were living now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more more and more he says we don't stop if returning being wronged with love and goodness Or hoping in Jesus' return to orient how you live in the present weren't big deals. In the words of Pastor Greg, this is a big deal. More and more. We never perfect walking in the way of Jesus. How could we? Because walking in the way of Jesus is walking in love. And how do we ever perfect love? We only ever seem to grow bigger in love or smaller. For those of you like me who really like having goals and achieving them this may feel anticlimactic i know in my own walk with jesus i often want to be the best a very real concern i don't know if you remember the part in the gospel of mark but in chapter 10 jesus is leading the disciples on the way to jerusalem and he's sharing with them about how he's going to die about he's going to be whipped spit on mocked and killed and how days after this torture he'll rise What happens after Jesus talks about this, though, ought to make any human tremble, because the next thing his disciples start asking is whether they can sit at his right and left hand in glory. And right after them asking this, Jesus explains, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become greatest among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Henry Nowen sums up our human condition that we see in this interaction, and he comments reflecting from John 21, Jesus asks, do you love me? And we ask, can we sit at your right and left hand in your kingdom? Nouwen comments on this saying, we have been tempted to replace love with power. What are your goals? Do you hear Jesus ask, do you love me? Is loving Jesus a goal? Is getting close to him your priority? Perhaps as we reflect on wanting to achieve and be successful, it has more to do with our longings for power. While Jesus is concerned with something quite different, he is concerned with love. Different than our achievements and performance, love has no attainable goal, no end. It just goes on and on. We never arrive at love. We're only ever growing. We're only ever getting closer or further. Love is only ever growing or decaying. When Paul writes to to live pleasing God more and more, he is not a tyrant that never wants a person to rest and relax. This can't be because Jesus himself wants us to rest and relax. Jesus is the one saying in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me and I will give you rest. When we live in the way that pleases God, we're living close to Jesus, in love with Jesus, and when we're living like this, our love will grow bigger. I'm nervous though, and I become horribly distressed when I see how quickly and easily I get tricked into thinking that getting it right in this Christian life is about getting to sit at Jesus's right or left hand in glory, rather than about growing in love more and more. Often I mistake getting it right to be me having more influence, more authority, more success, more having more power. But when we hear Jesus, when we watch Jesus, what seems to please him? Is it the ones with power and influence? In Paul's opening line, he notices that this church's labor is prompted by love. So let us join with them and resist the, pow- the temptation of power and grow in love more and more. In conclusion, perhaps like me most of the time, returning wrong for wrong, living in the present, not caring much about the future, and living to achieve personal success, sounds mostly like how we live. And God knows and cares. So I wonder if this is why Paul is writing this letter. Because he needs to wake them up and remind us why we're committed to living this annoying, uncomfortable, mostly unimpressive lifestyle. Where we are living to benefit others, even when we are wronged. Where we hope and ache for Jesus' return in our present suffering. And where we resist becoming preoccupied with power and are always growing in love. Church, we won't arrive at getting it right, individually or corporately. We'll only ever be growing or decaying in love. It hasn't and probably isn't going to look or feel glamorous most of the time but in the midst of being ripped off and seemingly insignificant, we'll probably get close to Jesus. This series has been noticing the words of Paul, this guy who wrote all these letters to churches after Jesus was resurrected. And Paul was obsessed with Jesus. Throughout each book, we read Paul communicating to churches about the way of Jesus. Jesus, this first century man, who being in very nature God, was born a homeless immigrant, was betrayed to death by one of his closest friends, who died for all our sakes because he cares for us. Paul was obsessed with this guy and considered that following him was in this life, was what this life was all about, no matter the cost. What's so incredible about this letter is the church actually figured this out. They actually figured out walking in the Jesus way. And we hear Paul affirming them all over the place. And I want to encourage us today that walking in the the way of Jesus is possible. Like Paul's opening line, if like the Thessalonian church, our work is produced from our faith, our labor is prompted by our love and our hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ. We will live empowered by the spirit to respond to being wronged with love, hoping in Christ's return to reorient how we live and endure now And be Jesus' people, a people always growing in love. And so let's pray. Sweet Jesus, our King, we are confounded, desperate, and longing to follow after your way of love. Oh, Spirit of God, awaken us and cover us so that we might live up to the way of life that we see in you and you call us to.